Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome to Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Alastair Murden, and I'm here to romance you with a few short stories exploring humanity's strangest and most fateful beliefs. For the next four episodes, we're going to explore the idea of romantic fate and the origins of the phrase star-crossed lovers, made famous by none other than William Shakespeare. First found in the famed Romeo and Juliet, the term is used to describe relationships with a sense of doom behind them, or the idea that the stars and the heavens can have an influence over your romantic life. But is it true? That's exactly what we're here to find out, and we'll do that by exploring something you've no doubt heard of or even used in your own dating life. The astrology of love. You can find episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Powercast for free on Spotify. Coming up, Young Love at Summer Camp. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. If you're a regular listener, you know we've covered astrology before, most notably in our episode on the Great Conjunction. But for those of you that are new here, a quick refresher. Astrology dates way, way back, all the way to ancient Mesopotamia. The Babylonians, the Egyptians, and the Romans all believed that if they observed the movements of the planets and the stars, they could predict the future. But it was the Greeks who made astrology what it is today, giving us the signs that have become, for many, a primary marker of identity. They divided the sky into 12 pieces and gave each a name and a set of dates based on the sun's position in the sky. Aries was the start of the spring equinox, now roughly March 21st to April 19th. Capricorn closed out the year, December 22nd to January 19th. Simultaneously, they observed that there might be a correlation between time of birth and personality. Someone born in Aries at the dawn of spring is supposedly energetic and brave, a true leader while someone born a Virgo at the start of the harvest is supposed to be practical, systematic, and nurturing. True or not, 
The mythology of sun signs has persisted for thousands of years, especially when it comes to dating. How many times have you heard the phrase, what's your sign? How many times have you heard someone say, oh, he's a Scorpio or a Taurus or a Sagittarius? It will never work. Or how many times have you seen an article with zodiac sign compatibility or zodiac signs you should date or what does your sun sign say about your dating life? It's hard to tell when or how your sun sign came to be an important part of dating. Somewhere along the lines, it did. But the question remains, can your sun sign really signal your compatibility with a partner? Is love written in the stars? Teen Jam's Weekly Horoscope for the week of July 18, 1998 Written by Daisy Clementine Don't fret, Pisces! If summer love has felt slower and more painful than the sinking of the Titanic, you're about to get jiggy with it. Mars moves into Virgo and your seventh house of relationship, just as amorous Venus sinks into your fifth house of romance. It won't be easy, but this week, you may find love in the most unexpected of people. Maybe even an Earth sign today. Every kid at Walla Walla Summer Camp had gathered around the main field watching Red take on Green in a heated game of tug-of-war. Well, every kid except 11-year-old August Adams. Instead, he was sitting on the shore of the lake, reading the latest Daisy Clementine horoscope from Teen Jam magazine. It wasn't that he didn't want to play, but he lost track of time daydreaming about the day that he would maybe finally find love. Because love, oh, sweet, sweet love, that's all he wanted, all he could think about as he stared out across the vast expanse of lake. He knew one day he would find his person and they would kiss and hold hands and have wildly passionate conversations. They'd have a great love story like Jack and Rose or Romeo and Juliet. He'd hoped that love would find him that summer, but so far, he'd only gotten his heart broken. The girl he loved held hands with someone else. August sighed and waded into the lake. When he was far in enough, he plunged under the water, letting himself bob back up to the surface. He loved the feeling of floating, the ethereal pause of it all, like he was at the whim of the elements. That was what he imagined it would feel like to meet his soulmate. Nothing else mattered. August! August leaned back, floating under the warm sun, dreaming of a girl's sweet, sweet touch. August! Oh, she'd feel like pure sunshine. He just knew it. August, there you are. Where have you been? You missed the game. We were a man short. We lost. August shot up, snapping back to reality. Nathan marched over, tugging at his red team wristband with a smug look on his face. 
It was 100 points! He held out a towel, calling August in. August dropped his head and paddled to the shore, feeling terrible. They were neck and neck with the green team for the overall camp championship, and every point counted. He could tell he'd let Nathan down, and it made him feel like the worst kind of person. Nathan had always been there for him, since the first day of kindergarten when a few older boys had tried to tape August to a pole, calling him a space cadet. Nathan had stepped in. I'm so sorry, Nathan, he said, wrapping a towel around himself. It's just... Oh. August immediately started sobbing, as if a dark cloud had sat itself on his shoulders. Is this about that girl? What's her face? Again? August nodded, then cried some more. Nathan knelt over, as if he'd been through this many times before, and said, Look, buddy, you gotta pick yourself up. She's just a girl. There's more important things than love. August picked up another stone and turned it over in his hands. There's nothing more important than love. Nathan rolled his eyes. All right, buddy, then why don't you get yourself up, come to dinner, then get ready for Walla Walla game night. I'm sure there will be plenty of lovely ladies for you to fawn over. Besides, we need to win back all those points. I'll get those darn greens if it's the last thing I do. Nathan trotted off. August picked up his magazine. He didn't want to follow, nor go to game night. But his horoscope had said he might find love. He just needed to find an earth sign. And then he would fall in love with her and she with him and... Tonight. Tonight he'd find the one. That evening... Nathan stormed into the pavilion, ready to win every type of board and card game he could get his hands on. He went immediately to war. He was an Aries after all. But August, being a Pisces, had forgotten his wristband, having spent too long daydreaming about a Virgo or a Capricorn or a Taurus. But he wanted to make Nathan happy. So he scoped the floor looking for something he might be good enough at to win some points. Monopoly? Uh, too mathy. Connect Four? Too linear. Battleship? Too much to remember. And poker? Oh, he could never keep a straight face. So he turned again to another table, still looking, then caught his breath. There was a girl he hadn't seen before, at the operation table. She wore a green sweater, had two pigtails sticking out the top of her head, and was laser-focused on pulling out the butterflies from the patient's stomach. An earth sign, definitely. August knew it. He just needed her to confirm it, and then he'd tell her about how he was a Pisces, and they were made for each other, and she'd be in love with him and him with her, and so he nestled into the chair next to her, just as she was about to extract the butterflies, and said... Excuse me, what's your birthday? Her hand froze. She turned to look at him, her eyes like daggers. One second. August drew back. If she was the one, he would wait as long as she asked. So he sat and watched as she stuck her tongue out the side of her mouth, 
so focused on making sure the tweezers didn't touch the edge. But then, her hand faltered. No, no, no! The girl screamed, turning to August. You distracted me! August put up his hands. I I'm sorry. All I wanted to know was your birthday. She put down the tweezers. Only if you play your turn or get out of here so I can focus. I was about to win my team 100 points when you came in and blew it for me, she said, watching the counselor reset the board. I just want to know what your birthday is and your name. Then I, I promise I won't distract you anymore unless you ask me to. She turned to him and said, Fine. My name is Lupe. I was born on January 7th, and I'm going to be a neurosurgeon someday. Now, are you playing? August gasped. <gasps> a Capricorn? You're an Earth sign, he said, putting his hands over his heart. Suddenly, his nerves dissipated into a melting pot of hope and joy, and oh, how it was fate. Excuse me, the game? The camp counselor handed August the tweezers. I assume you know how to play? August said yes and smiled at her, tickled by the way she looked at him. It would be love soon enough. But of course, he wasn't very good at the game. He kept getting distracted, watching Lupe's soft fingers drum at the table, impatient. It got even worse as he watched her play in between his turns as she took every piece out like she was a pro. She was so steady, so methodical, and he found it so wondrous and impressive and fascinating. How could hands so beautiful be so still? You're pretty bad at this, she said when he failed to pull the wrenched ankle out for the millionth time. August nodded, sheepish. She sighed. Why don't I help you? Yes, he thought, then aloud said, That would be wonderful. So Lupe grabbed the tweezers and showed him how he had to first rest his wrist on the edge of the table. A grounded surface did wonders for your focus. Then he had to look really, really intently at the game piece. Not just think about it, but see the shape and the lines of it. Finally, she said, you have to have conviction. This is not the time to get caught up in thinking about what will happen after you pull it out. This is the time to just do it. He began, trying his hardest to follow her instructions and impress her. Because, oh, how sweet her voice sounded when she said it. And, oh, when she reached out and put tweezers in his hand and their fingers grazed and he could definitely feel a spark and... August, you did it! August looked down. All the pieces were out and the counselor handed him a chip. He'd won the red team 100 points, but more importantly, Lupe looked elated and he was too. So much that he leaned in and hugged her. Her whole body was stiff at first and then relaxed. So much so that August could swear he felt it tingle. He beamed. Did you know that Capricorns and Pisces like me make a great team? Lupe blushed for a moment, then sat up tall, pulling herself together. 
If I'm going to be a great surgeon someday, I have to teach those who are not as talented, she said. You just clearly needed help. That's our cue to call in our points, she said, gathering up a large stack of chips. Wait! August cried, not wanting her to walk away. I'd like to, uh, uh, hang out with you again, if I can. Lupe smirked, then tightened her ponytails. Let me take care of this, then I'll get you on my calendar. She walked away, and August nearly died of pleasure. This was exactly what Daisy Clementine had said. He, the Pisces, just needed to find an earth sign, and then their match would be perfect. August looked across the pavilion, trying to catch Lupe's attention, maybe even blow her a romantic kiss. But instead, he found her chatting with a friend and shaking her head, looking deeply remorseful. But it couldn't possibly be about him. It must have been something else. There you are, buddy. Check this out. Nathan put his hand on August's shoulder and showed him a very very large stack of chips. But August hardly glanced. What you looking at over there? Not what's-her-face, I hope. August tilted his head. No. Better. August waved at Lupe. Lupe, thank goodness, waved back. Nathan shook August's shoulders. August, are you crazy? Look at her wrist! August smiled. I know. Isn't it beautiful? Nathan slapped him on the head. No, dummy. Her wristband. It's green. She's the enemy. August's heart stopped. He hadn't even checked. But then, he had an idea. But Romeo and Juliet. Daisy Clementine said it wouldn't be easy. Maybe it's fate. Nathan sighed and grabbed August's hand, pulling him away. Romeo and Juliet didn't end well, buddy, he said. It ended in death. Coming up, our Pisces swims away. Love. It's been the subject of poems, novels, music, and film. It's also been the driving force behind some of the most horrendous crimes in history. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Join me for season two of Criminal Couples and meet the lovers who took their passion to perilous lengths. Featuring standout episodes from female criminals, serial killers, solved murders, and crimes of passion, this season of Criminal Couples gets to the heart of what makes two turn to a life of murderous crime. Some couples were set off by revenge or greed. Others were fueled by sex and drugs. All acted in the name of love. Discover the darker side of desire in season two of the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Follow for free and tune in every Monday, only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. Towards the end of the week, competition had heated up at Walla Walla Summer Camp. The camp trophy loomed over the dining pavilion, and a whiteboard indicated that red and green were neck and neck for the lead. 
After the water balloon toss, Red pulled ahead by five points. But after a rousing game of capture the flag, Green shot ahead by 20. August was doing his best to compete, but in each game, all he could think of was the girl across enemy lines, Lupe. All he'd ever wanted was love, sweet, sweet love. Just before they met, his horoscope had told him he might find it in an earth sign and she was a Capricorn. To him, it was destiny. But his best friend Nathan wouldn't allow it. It's too risky, Nathan said, chewing on a piece of corn on the cob. She would get in your head. She could steal sensitive information. Or she could tie you up and throw you into the bushes. August told Nathan he was being silly. It was just camp. Love is so much more important, he pleaded. I've been working three summers for this win. I will not go back to school a loser. Don't blow it for me, August. August tried. He really tried. He didn't want to risk his friendship with Nathan, but he yearned so deeply. So when Nathan took his tray to the compost bin and emptied his lunch, August knew he had to do something drastic. He grabbed a napkin, stole a pen from the kitchen, and headed out of the pavilion, crouching down like a spy. His heart raced. He risked being caught, he knew, but what other choice did he have? Great lovers went to great lengths for love, and he would be no exception. When he got to the other side of the tent where the green team was sitting, he slowly lifted the canvas, grabbed a stone, and tossed it toward Lupe's feet. She turned. August pressed his fingers to his mouth. Shh. She mouthed, August, what are you doing? August pulled the napkin out of his pocket. On it, he wrote, Dessert with me? The oak tree by the lake. Tonight after lights out. Then he crumpled it up and threw it. She reached down and picked it up, but just as she was about to open it, August felt a hand on his shoulder. What are you doing? August dropped the bottom of the tent and turned. It was Nathan. Nothing, he said. Nathan nodded. I'd hope so, he said. August didn't know if she would show. That evening at dinner, Lupe hardly looked his way and August could barely eat. He was so on edge, the pulled pork smelled foul and none of the other choices looked any good. He did manage to nab an extra slice of chocolate cake from the kitchen, but he couldn't focus at the red team's bonfire. All he could do was imagine the worst, that he would wait by the oak tree for hours and she would never show, that their love was all a hoax. But then, the night was there. August snuck out after dark, bringing along the slice of chocolate cake and a blanket. He laid it out gently by the water and picked a few nearby daisies. He was anxious, yes, but overhead, the stars twinkled with magic, like they were winking at him. He prayed to them, Please, please send me my love. Oh, sweet, sweet love, he said. And then, she was there. August's stomach churned with excitement and nerves. She walked toward him, 
wearing sweatpants, her arms crossed, all serious. August waved, his cheeks flush. I shouldn't be here, she said. August stood, holding up a daisy. But you are, he said. You bug me, she said, almost angry. August recoiled slightly, feeling slighted. Then, why are you here? She glanced at the daisy. Is that for me? August nodded, holding it out. She took the flower, then fiddled with the petals. I'm only here because the two of us aren't competing tomorrow, so I don't feel too much like a traitor. She held the daisy up to her nose and smelled it. Thank you, she said. I brought us cake too, August said, his hands shaking as he picked up the container. Then he realized something. Oh no, I forgot the... Forks, Lupe said, reaching into her pocket. She held two up. I thought you might forget something. August smiled sheepishly. The Capricorn to my Pisces. Please, sit, he said. And sit, she did. And oh, how lovely the picnic was. August could hardly remember what she talked about, but he could remember the way the night breeze blew through her hair, the way she wiped her mouth after every bite, the way the stars shimmered on her eyelashes. And when he told her about how he'd used to be bullied, about how Nathan had helped him with his confidence, how much he liked his friend, she'd been so sweet, so kind, so nurturing. Oh, how he loved her. I got bullied too, called a nerd, but my mom says I'm not a nerd, I'm just diligent and ambitious, she said. I think I like that about you, I'm too spacey. Lupe picked up the daisy and plucked a petal, as if deep in thought about something. I don't know, maybe it's a good thing, you just need to channel your imagination into something productive? August sighed. <sighs> Maybe someday, he said. Lupe continued plucking petals, and for a long while there was silence, as if they both knew the night was coming to an end. August didn't want it to, of course. He looked out over the water and had an idea. Want to jump in the lake? he asked. Are you crazy? It's late. We have no supervision. August was stunned. What? We don't need to swim. Just float. It's so lovely. Just letting the current take you. Or, if it's still, just being underwater, hearing nothing and going nowhere. Lupe grew nervous, checking over her shoulder. I don't know, August. I don't think that's such a good idea. Feeling bold, August took her hand in his. I'll help you, he said. Tomorrow, let's go somewhere, away, just the two of us. No, looking over our shoulders. Lupe pulled her hand away. Tomorrow was the final relay race. August blurted that that was exactly the point. Nobody will notice we're gone, he said, extending his fingers. But she didn't take them. Instead, she stood and stepped back, 
tugging at the green bracelet on her wrist as if some heavy decision weighed on her. I've worked hard for this, August. I've been the one pushing my team to prepare and train and I... Well, I'd plan to use Walla Walla Championship Captain on my private school applications, which are crucial if I want to get into a good college so I can get into a good medical school and residency and... Anyways, I have a plan. I just can't skip a whole step. August protested. But don't you believe in fate? You're my person. We're a perfect match for each other. Daisy Clementine said so. What about the forks? Lupe shook her head. I don't believe in fate, August. I believe in hard work and focus. You should try it. As Lupe walked away, August's heart absolutely broke. He ripped each one of the leaves off the daisy, tossing them aside, then picked up one of the forks. What he wouldn't give to plunge one into his chest, rip his heart out, and serve it to the birds for dinner. At least then, it would be useful for something. After a while, August returned to his cabin, slammed his head into his pillow, and pulled the sleeping bag over his shoulders. Then he cried, as silently as he could, so nobody could hear him. Red, green, what did it matter? <sighs> if Lupe didn't want to be with him, then nothing mattered. Nothing at all. August rolled over in his bunk, half-dazed, as if he'd awoken from a terrible dream. He shivered, then felt instantly heavy and depressed. The previous day started to come back to him. August clutched his chest, wanting to break down and cry. But something from the bunk below stopped him. Buddy, wake up! Nathan poked his head out already dressed in his red uniform, as if he'd slept in it. August nodded. What? Our anchor got food poisoning, maybe from the pork. Red Team needs you to do the swim race. August rolled over, moaning. I can't, Nathan. My whole body aches. Nathan shook him. Get up, buddy. You can do it. Eventually, August relinquished. If Lupe wasn't going to love him, he might as well just get the week over with. The final camp competition was a relay race between the leading two teams. There were eight legs, nine people on each team, so there was always one acting as coach and the others assigned to their best events. In August's case, it was the final leg, a 200-meter swim from the shore to the dock out in the lake. There was only one thing he could do now, and that was to just swim. August pulled a towel over his shoulders. Nathan gave him a final pat on the back. Bring it home for us, buddy, he said. August didn't say anything. He simply took his starting position on the dock. Off in the distance, the relay began. He could hear kids screaming, cheering, as Nathan and his competition began the obstacle course. But what was odd 
was that August didn't have a competitor. There was no one lined up beside him. He'd heard that it was going to be a green named Eric, but the last time he'd seen Eric had been at dinner, eating pork. After some time, when he knew that soon his teammate would hand him the baton, he grew nervous. If they didn't have a final swimmer, it wouldn't be a competition at all, and this all would have been for nothing. Sneaking around and Lupe rejecting him, how stupid it would all have been if... Hello, August. August turned. Lupe was walking towards him, clad in a swimsuit and holding goggles in her hand. Out in the distance, August could see his teammate running with the red baton, Nathan cheering him on. The green was close behind. I thought you didn't like the water, he said. She put her goggles on. I do what I need to to win, she said, grabbing her team's baton. She dove in. August felt something metal in his hand. For a moment, he froze, watching Lupe splash into her lane in front of him. But then, he heard Nathan screaming. Quit being a space cadet and go! On impulse, August ran into the lake and kicked. He was angry and heartbroken and wanted to float, imagining himself drowning and drifting to the bottom, only to never go up to the surface. But he thought of Lupe, what she said about doing something productive. So instead, he channeled his anger into his legs and swam ahead. The wake from Lupe's legs grew closer. August plunged ahead, closing the gap so quickly that it was mere seconds before he kicked past her, on pace to beat her to the dock with ease. For a while, he felt high and mighty. But then, when August popped up to see how far back she was, he realized he couldn't see her at all. August looked around. She was okay, wasn't she? He wanted to think so, but he could only see the other kids on the shore and Nathan throwing his arms up, wondering what August was doing. August didn't know. Lupe did say she wasn't a good swimmer. Had she drowned? The thought plagued him. If so, he couldn't swim anymore. Not at all. He dove under, trying to see if he could see anything. It was blurry and dark. But when he looked towards where Lupe was swimming last and looked down, he saw something, a shape, like a body on the lake floor. No, no, no. She said she didn't like the water. Maybe she wasn't a good swimmer. Oh, no. August plunged underwater, trying not to inhale or exhale. Eventually, he reasoned, his body would run out of air and his head would grow light and then he'd just fade away, joining her body down there. Soon, his chest hurt and bubbles left his nose. He would do it. He would resist breaking the surface, he was thinking. Until something pulled him up. Lupe! August exclaimed. You're so stupid. What did you think you were doing? August caught his breath. He could have kissed her. He was so happy to see her alive. I, I thought you were drowned. Lupe rolled her eyes. So you were going to drown to save me? 
What a plan, she said. Then, what were you doing? He asked, kicking to stay afloat. I got distracted, floating, she said, smiling at him. You were right. It's very relaxing. August's heart bloomed and butterflies kicked at his stomach. She loved him. He could tell. August looked to shore. Nathan had pulled out binoculars. The rest of the kids looked bewildered and shocked. He turned to Lupe. I have a better idea. What if we just forget about the competition, swim away together and let them think we've drowned? Lupe rolled her eyes. This isn't Romeo and Juliet, August. It's camp. Now, are you going to swim or what? August protested. But what about us? Lupe adjusted August's goggles. We'll set up playdates after camp. And with that, Lupe pushed him forward, urging August to take off. And take off swimming he did, with Lupe cheering him from behind. August didn't understand it, but it was the fastest he'd ever swum. With Lupe behind him, he felt like he could conquer anything. His passion, her practicality, destiny was real, he thought, as he touched the dock, his whole team cheering. Fate had brought them together. Daisy Clementine was right. The stars had aligned for them. And then, when he returned to the shore, Lupe ran up to him and gave him a big kiss. You've probably heard the phrase, opposites attract, something that very much plays a role in astrological sign compatibility. Signs are divided into four elements, earth, water, fire, and air. The air signs are Aquarius, Gemini, and Libra. The fire signs are Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius. And the earth signs are Virgo, Taurus, and today's love interest, Capricorn. While the water signs are Cancer, Scorpio, and our other sign of the story, Pisces. It's said that what element you fall under can often be a sign of compatibility, or how your relationship will function. Couples with the same elements, like Aquarius and Gemini, will have a deep understanding of each other's gifts and flaws. Couples with opposing elements, like today's earth and water signs, might be able to help one another overcome their weaknesses, thus inspiring growth in each other and love. But while sun sign compatibility feels as simple and clear as childhood romance, in reality, we all know that love is much more complicated. So too is astrology and matchmaking. If you follow our next three episodes, you'll find out it's not as simple as earth signs and water signs. Fate gets complicated.
Thanks again for listening to Superstitions. You can find more episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Until next time, be wary of the things you cannot explain. Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kerry Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Superstitions was written by Stacey Lee Nemec, with writing assistance by Greg Castro, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Brian Petras. I'm Alastair Murden. It's been said that love is a many-splendored thing. That is, until it's not. In season two of Criminal Couples, discover true stories of couples who turned their love lives into a life of crime. Lies and deceit are just the beginning. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Catch new episodes every Monday, free and only on Spotify. 